0: Sound logic Two guys with no credentials reviewing rolling stone 500 greatest album welcome back everyone to the sound logic podcast and today we're doing something a little different we're kind of between seasons we've finished episode uh our 100th review and before we do our 101st review we usually take a little break but also we wanted to talk about something fairly significant that has happened in the world of music and the world of culture um, and something close to us Um, ben do you want to kind of introduce what we're talking about today just so i'm not rambling for too long all at once
1: (laughs) yeah guitarist uh songwriter singer leader of the band robbie robertson Passed away um, here recently, uh, August eighth or ninth, somewhere in there. Um, it was announced by his, by his family. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he had apparently been uh, ill for some time, um, but but learning of that, uh, learning of it in you know the same space of, of uh, Gordon Lightfoot and um, not too far removed from other Canadian icons who've passed away, I guess over the last uh, number of years, it's a hit has a a little bit closer to home and and maybe perhaps, especially since we we just re-released our review of uh, music from big pink. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I know for me, uh, you know, I, I owe a lot to this podcast, not just because it's been a lot of fun hanging out with you, but for the ability to get to know Bands I should have known a long time ago, like the yeah. band. Um, yes. uh, it's been really great, and and uh, maybe makes it hit a little harder, perhaps than um, had we never started this misguided, uh, long running <laughs> podcast. <laughs> podcast. Well intentioned podcast. better yes. that's better than misguided. That's better.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in the in the years since we've started this journey, it's been over four years now. We've lost a few musical legends that that we've talked about um Mm -hmm. and that's that's you know when you get when you really get into something it makes it a little harder um i don't i i can speak i think for both of us myself for sure i don't think there's a a that has surprised me and become more beloved to me through doing this than the band. Hmm. Yeah, I was well familiar said. with the band before. I had one of their greatest hits but never really done a deep dive and then doing this it's definitely the group that I listen to the most from this list, from this project we've done. And I'm really I'm I'm buying their vinyl. I'm getting into yeah. you know uh, our wonderful uh, guests we had Tyra Listen who host the podcast, The Band of History, which is excellent, by the way. Um, if, yeah. you, if you haven't checked it out, he does such an in-depth uh, dive into the history of the band and then going through, even once they get into their solo and side projects and The Last Waltz and, and people who have interviewed them and photographed them. It, it's really well done, and he's just a huge fan as well. Um, it's, uh, it's just been such such an incredible gift to have that music um so so losing another legend in robbie robertson not just a a canadian legend a music legend a cultural legend i mean you start looking at his band look at lists of of uh movies he's scored Mm, yeah the movies with with scorsese most recently um uh killers of the oh shoot killers of the flower moon is that what it's called
1: it was a new movie. Colors of the Flower Moon. Yep,
0: is that what it's called? It with yeah. uh, with DiCaprio and Scorsese um, directed it, and Robbie did the did the score, and he did many over the years for Scorsese. Um, such a big part of our culture. So yeah. it's just giving me pause to reflect as we lose another legend in um, a long and full life. Um, not to say that it isn't sad uh, when his you know people close to him to someone when you lose someone who's close to you, of course it's still sad. Uh he made it a lot longer than than some of his contemporaries, um, who who lived a similar lifestyle. And if you listen yeah. to the podcast you can tell you can hear that for those guys, except for maybe Garth, um, <laughs> they all lived a pretty a pretty hard lifestyle at, at different times. Mm-hmm. Um and uh Robbie came out, you know, at in his eighty first year. Um, And yeah, uh, he will be greatly missed by those who knew him and many fans all over the world. Um, I gotta say, sometimes it's a little bittersweet when I think of Robbie because uh, sometimes it, it seems from reading that he was kind of the... Deciding factor in doing the last waltz and yeah, and the band um, kind band of closing, didn't even know,
1: right? <laughs> that, yeah, closing that, that chapter,
0: and yeah. then of course the rest of them a few years later in the eighties said, "Hey, we want to keep doing this and start it up again without him." So I think about that sometimes, and I wonder what could have happened. But maybe it was for the better that they wouldn't have gone on, you know, into the eighties and nineties as they did if if it had remained in the same. So uh, uh, nothing, of course, against Robbie. For that, um, you know, it all happened for a reason, and uh, boy, I'm just so thankful for the gift of of his music. I mean, he was the primary songwriter for for their group. He wrote the vast majority of their songs, um, and uh, I put it on my turntable quite a lot and on online, and um, yeah, it's just it's give, lots of reflection. Um, yeah. any, anything in particular? come to mind ben when you heard of the passing or in the, in the days of weeks after did, what did you how did you kind of commemorate uh robbie
1: well i this happened almost by accident but uh former former guest on the podcast um Andrew Hickey, of, from the incredible uh, podcast "The History" and published work "A History of Rock Music in 500 Songs," right? Um, yeah, coincidentally released uh, his 167th episode in the uh, the grouping of 500. This one was focusing on um, the weight by the band, and he went into quite a bit of depth as he normally does. I think it's a Two-hour podcast episode, which is not unusual for him, Um, but going all the way back to um, you know the beginning of uh, the Hawks, and uh, you know the way that that uh, things evolved from that point to working with Dylan, and then finally sort of looking around and realizing they were the band and uh, and creating music together. So I think more than anything, it was a reminder again of. of, just how much canadian music history he was a part of Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. over such a long time as you already mentioned and uh uh good just doing some really um, powerful and incredible stuff uh um yeah i i agree that that those especially those two albums that we've talked about on the podcast but um but also uh, Northern White Southern Cross has really become three staple oh. albums that, that just continue oh. to be in my regular rotation when I want something I know I'm gonna like <laughs> when I press play or drop the the needle. And uh, And I, I haven't gone as deep as I probably should have in the rest of the catalog. and I'm, I'm sort of this his passing has nudged me a little bit to think like, there's got to be more good stuff out there like keep going keep oh, going yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. stop don't stop now but yeah uh
0: one we don't want to make this too long we want to of course just just you know commemorate robbie um and you know of course our condolences to his family um, mm-hmm. in all of this and those who knew him and many knew him well in the industry um ben did i tell you about my trip to aurelia where i went into a record store no um, days Days before his passing Maybe maybe a week before his passing uh, I was with my My parents and my kids Went to a, a town north of here If you know the area north of Lake Simcoe Called Orillia uh, We were visiting a museum there And then we went um, into the The main, kind of main Strip of this old town Beautiful Main Street if you haven't been Orillia is of course the hometown of Gordon Lightfoot and I think the home of, of the Mariposa Folk Festival. There's big cutouts of guitars painted beautifully all over the streets, and there's commemorations, murals to to uh, to Gordon Lightfoot. Anyways, we're walking by, going to a restaurant and see this music store, this record store, and I go in and realize it's actually three units that are connected together, almost oh all rec- records. Like, just wild. So of course I go right to the band section. <laughs> to see if i could pick up some of the ones i don't have um i like to get vintage copies if i can sometimes they're a little less expensive and i just like that having something that's older i like old things so i'm looking and i couldn't find music from big pink or the brown album but there were several copies of stage fright There's another one so i picked up stage fright um i i found the the disc in the best condition and i took it home and have been playing it and then um and I showed my mom, of course. And then when we heard of uh, Robbie's passing, she texted me. She said, "You <laughs> looks like you got the album just in time." I guess, kind of <laughs> wondering if, if the if the value would skyrocket, right? <laughs> as sometimes happens. I don't know that that will happen, um, but um, as I said it is kind of timely, isn't it? But um, yeah, just uh, just it, there's so much that happens to me right now. Yeah, that that the band is a part of it whether it's on the radio or something i listen to or talking to somebody or seeing a picture i feel like i'm so it's like it's like when you see a car or or somebody brings something to your attention and you've seen it all along for years but you never really looked at it i feel that way with a band now that i huh. see them everywhere yeah. i see their influence everywhere yeah um uh, the sound it's, they were yeah good yep oh
1: yeah uh anyways that's
0: my little um my little story from i love that i love that weeks ago
1: we mentioned uh our conversation with tyrell listen we thought it would be appropriate to uh, bring his voice back to the sound logic podcast and so we're gonna replay that conversation with him it's about a half an hour so it's not a full length episode here but um it was such a good time to get to know him in a little bit of a way and uh um in tribute, I guess, to Robbie, we'll replay that here for you now.
0: So um, we will have some new episodes coming out in the next few weeks, but in the meantime, enjoy this um, this little conversation with Tyrell. He's such a, such a great band fan to have with us and very knowledgeable and well-spoken. And of course, Robbie, uh, wherever you are, rest well. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your contribution to to music, to Canadiana, to Americana, um, and so many other things. Um, And uh, we're just so thankful that we we got to enjoy what you've made over the years.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Robbie. We'll have more uh, coming up right after this. Sound
0: Logic Podcast Two guys with no credentials Reviewing Rolling Stone. Greatest you? Album Welcome back everyone and thanks for joining us again here at the Sound Logic Podcast And today we're discussing an album we've already reviewed on the previous list This is album number 57 It is the band's self-titled album, also known as the Brown Album, uh, by the band. And today we have something different for you. Uh, instead of just our normal ramblings, we have a special guest joining us today. Ben, would you introduce our guest for us, please?
1: Yeah, we uh, haven't done this yet. Uh, we've had guests on the show before, but it's usually when we're tackling an album for the first time. Um, this is a album we previously reviewed. And um, in the meantime, since we last reviewed it, which was boy, it's getting close to two years ago, Mike, since we put that review out there initially, I discovered uh, something kind of amazing called The Band A History. It's uh, another podcast, another um, in-depth music podcast that focuses specifically on the Canadian uh, group, The Band. And um, we're really excited to have the creator of that podcast with us here this evening. Um, Tyrell Listen is our guest. He's put this together, he's in the midst of this project, I guess you would say, and um, he's here to talk a little bit more about that and to talk about a shared commonality that we all have in, uh, in the band as, uh, as three Canadians. Um, Tyrell, for those who don't know you, uh, how might you introduce yourself these days?
2: Yeah, no thanks. First of all, thanks uh, for having me, guys. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, I am the host, producer, writer, a little bit of everything, as you know we all are when it comes to podcasts for the Band of History uh, project detailing the ro- roots rock band, The Band, uh, <laughs> and I've been doing the project for uh, coming up on almost three years. Believe it or not, um, it, it started. Uh, just after christmas in in 2019 um, wow. so it's it's been it's been a long time but yeah we we take a in-depth look at the band uh, it's for fans of the band but also uh, we're encouraging new folks that you know might have heard the wait or one of the other big band songs that want a little bit more Uh, knowledge um, and we do some interviews too with people from the band that were around the band etc so yeah it's been it's been a journey so far
1: well i will count myself as one of those people who used to just know their radio hits and i'm a little embarrassed to say that as a canadian but it really was because of this podcasting journey that i got more into the band specifically the two albums that we've talked about before music from big pink and this one that we're discussing here tonight Um, And it's really because of sort of falling down that rabbit hole, discovering all this other music that I didn't know and how great it is uh, that I've gotten into other parts of their career, which led me to your podcast. So thank you for putting it together. It's a huge help for me as a, a fairly ignorant uh music fan and um it's helped a- along the way for sure we can empathize a little bit with the uh searchability challenges of podcasting um not necessarily that <laughs> sound logic isn't a-, a a misnomer or anything like that but when we tell people that we are uh, talking through rolling stones list of the greatest albums I've had a few people say i didn't realize the rolling stones had that many albums that you could have a whole podcast on it. No, no, no. The, the magazine. The <laughs> no, yeah. So uh, yeah, when you type the band into uh, into a podcast search engine, I'm guessing that uh, it can be quite challenging for your yeah. people even to find you.
2: Certainly, and you know, back in 1965, 66, 67, and that in that time when. The band kind of stumbled upon their name. They didn't even give the name really to themselves, but they weren't thinking of search engine optimization <laughs> or or anything like that. So yeah. uh, it, it's definitely a challenge uh, sometimes. But uh, no, it's been uh, incredibly great. I always like to sh- shout out my community uh, of people. Uh, the band community is a tight knit group, uh, and they welcomed me immediately. Uh, as well as uh, members from the band etc and helping promote the work, which was a huge foot up at the beginning and now we have a, a very robust community of really engaged band fans uh, new and old so it's it's been remarkable seeing people that you know were around when these guys were you know 15 16 years old playing the circuit uh, and you know new fans that are 16 17 year old, It's now getting into the band for the first time so it's kind of it's really full circle in a lot of ways and uh it's really cool to see that's awesome
0: well i guess my first question is uh, well i have two but we'll start here what what first attracted you to the band just listening to other things and it came across
2: or or was it somebody who kind of handed something to you and said you got to hear this How, how did you get into it first yeah, no, I, I have an interesting story, and I, I've um, told it a few times, but I, I always think it's really funny because um, I, like many other people, heard the wait probably mm-hmm. on the radio or something. You know, in Canada, you have CanCon, or like they have to play canadian music every so many times an hour on the radio so i'd heard the wait, and i didn't like it i actually (laughs) hated it i thought it was (laughs) i I, I was like god but this was you know this is when i was a teenager uh i liked metal music and i liked things that were fast and aggressive i didn't really care about you know these hokey yeah, i did not even know what to call it um you know as i kind of progressed uh in my musical taste not that i don't like metal now but as i kind of became more open to listening to other things i kind of stumbled upon it as i you know opened the door to more folk and rock stuff of you know an earlier era but um my now wife uh We were going back to visit her hometown, this small town in southern Ontario called uh, Ingersoll. And Garth Hudson, uh, the organist, keyboardist, multi-instrumentalist from the band, was playing the folk festival there called the Canterbury Folk Festival. Oh, wow. Um, And also around that time, I was in film school, and we were watching... um, We were in American documentary class, and uh, we watched The Last Waltz. And, you know, that really got my head spinning a little bit as well. So these kind of things coincided as well as a local... A community theater play about Richard Manuel from the band happening and kind of all these things led me to really diving in I'm an obsessive type like once I like something or I'm interested in something I'll go uh, really deep into researching it and learning it and then you know all those kind of things led me to the band exactly where i needed to be at that time the music just hit me in a way that uh, it hadn't before and from that moment i you know really became an obsessive reading everything that you could find watching everything that you can find and with the band as we know some of the materials uh, aren't Necessarily the most um, accessible, and they're kind of a mysterious type of group, or that's the mystique that they definitely put on during their earlier years. So, uh, definitely some of their peers, like the Beatles or the Stones, who I'd kind of come to first, were a little bit more accessible. Uh, at the beginning, but uh, no, it was, it started with that kind of hatred of the weight, but uh, coming to love
1: the group as a whole a couple of years later. That's awesome. I really despise Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And uh, that song in particular has prevented me from ever going deeper. And so when we tackled his Born to Run album, I was like, this is amazing. How did I, how did I let that be a barrier yes. <laughs> all these years? Yes. Um, So I I find myself wondering, you've talked a little bit about this uh, community of people who love the band opening up. Mm. Uh, My hunch, I guess, in hearing just how detailed uh, your journey is, that it's been more than just, you know, reading the the few books that are out there about this, this group sounds like there's uh, been people who've been telling their stories and helping you along this journey as well where where do you get your research from as you have been moving through this mm.
2: yeah you know i definitely found it challenging at the beginning because before the podcast i am a filmmaker producer that's what i do for a living um and one of my final thesis projects very early on in my career is i was going to try to tackle a documentary on um, the bands one of the bands vocalists and pianist uh richard manuel And it was deeply challenging, not only from a research perspective and getting footage and rights and things of that nature, but also getting individuals to speak. Um, You know, a lot obviously had been deceased because this is, you know, a band that the living members are in their, you know, higher in their 70s, 80s. So a lot of people have deceased, they're rock stars, they live hard lives. And so so did their peers. So it was very challenging. And that documentary really never got finished for a myriad of reasons. And that frustrated me because I like to finish projects and I I was really passionate about the band. So a couple of years later when I started the podcast, I I found it easier in a lot of ways. Um, There's a a number of great written materials out there, um, especially like Barney Hoskins or Grail Marcus, who noted historians and writers um, music critics and they've written quite a bit uh, there's a lot of stuff that's auxiliary from like dylan books because of the band's connection with dylan in such a intertwined way that you you can get some info there
0: mm.
2: uh, there's a great website uh, built by this amazing gentleman back in the 90s very early internet forums, um uh, and he built a website that Collected band fans together, and they started sharing posters, bootlegs, photos. Uh, wow. That's that still exists. Called wow. the band uh, HIOF. Um, you can Google that, and you, you can find it. And um, you know, that's there's a lot of the primary sources in the books and in the articles. I use that website also as as a reference point. I conduct a lot of my own research questions, uh, whether it's um, from occasion talking to Robbie about certain things to clarify things or talking to certain engineers or people who are around or talking to Garth Hudson uh, to clarify some things so there's, there's a lot of unique and interesting challenges um, also because the band being so intertwined with a lot of musical acts throughout the 60s and 70s um, one of the most important things to do was not just have that narrow focus of looking just for information about the band quote unquote but I want to find out more about what they did with Eric Clapton. Well we had to start going down the Eric Clapton hole and find out, you know, what he was doing during that time. You can start to find those pieces and linking things back together or Van Morrison or you name it, anybody in the sixties and seventies, there was some connection in some way. And then you can start kind of picking up the pieces that way. So it's a research challenge, but it's definitely fun and there's kind of sources everywhere and with the internet every day there's something new there was just yeah. new bootlegs released uh in the last month so it's like you're yeah. always getting a new surprise every day when you wake up
1: wow
0: um how how receptive have have the guys in the band and very close to the band been to do to do or to talk to you or to do with you like that you know you're talking to to garth and you're talking to robbie i mean that. I'm trying to make my eyes not fall on my head, you know, And when I listen to some of the stuff on the podcast, but, but were they, you know, were they, I, I mean, you mentioned it. they, they are a lot older now they're not in the, in the limelight anymore. I mean, Garth probably never, ever wanted to be, uh, but, um, uh, have they been receptive you know to just to have an email or a call or how, what's yeah. your experience with them
2: certainly at the very at the very beginning of the podcast Sebastian one of Robbie's children who is very active in the like legacy and the the band in terms of like their social media presence and, and all of that kind of stuff uh was very receptive and helpful at pushing out the show um Robbie is supported in a couple of different ways uh Garth I talked to before the show um Garth isn't, uh, he's he's always been this interesting character. He's an eccentric type of guy, a brilliant guy. A lot of people have tried to interview him and have failed. He's challenging because he's not really one to sit and have an interview like we're having right now or a chat where we're kind of just throwing questions and answers back. Like you'll give him a question and he'll just go on and on, but not in a bad way, in an amazing way. And you just let him go because it's like everything you're like, whoa. okay okay and then you try to bring him back and then it doesn't it doesn't work but it doesn't matter so that's you know when you're talking to garth that's great when you try to interview him that's not so great if you have like some goal in mind um i did i did put out an interview I, i really had to you know be pretty focused on on getting what i wanted there um but garth garth has been great um and there's a lot of other auxiliary characters there's john simon who is fundamental um in this music um very underrated almost like another member of the band kind of like the George Martin to the Beatles uh produced the Brown album uh he's still around and accessible uh Elliot Landy who took a lot of the famous photographs uh, so a lot of these people around and are very eager to talk you know it is a community though so you have to gain trust uh you mm-hmm. have to be mm-hmm. careful yeah. Uh, you never look to exploit or sensationalize, uh, especially because of some of the darker things that happened in the band's history. So it's like you've got to be careful. You've got to be respectful. Um, and, you know, that's not only uh, for me, but also the, the community as a whole practicing that respect because these people are willing to talk and engage if, if you give them that kind of, you know, space to. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it strikes me as I listen to your episodes, um, just how much time you've poured into the details. Uh, I, two of your recent episodes are the first two parts of a. We're still not sure how many part episode on the last <laughs> waltz, and um, you know I think your first episode ends, and you still haven't gotten to the first ba- uh, band coming on stage, right? And uh, yeah, <laughs> and oh, I man. think like wow, there's so much there. Um, yeah, it strikes me that. Like you're also pouring yourself into the, um, the structure of each podcast episode. It's not like Mike and I just sitting down and, and rambling together. You've really thought through what you want to say in each one, um, the interviews yeah. being slightly different than that. But uh, yeah. I guess I find myself wondering, do you want to put uh, these words on paper down the road and, and um, do what some folks have done, turn uh, an audio content into a final published work of some kind?
2: No, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd say most of the work goes into the writing portion of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. The recording of it is, you know, usually takes a few hours at max and then the edit. So it's kind of like at the beginning and the end, it takes so much time. Um, And definitely some thought goes into the structure, but I I will say generally speaking, I have a plan, but once I get into what I'm in it, it often changes it's, it's definitely malleable uh, the last waltz there's there's always something to grapple earlier on in the show the show's definitely grown and it hasn't been this polished product from the beginning even with my production background and things like this is a hobby so it, you know it takes different uh, priorities at different times but early <laughs> on it was definitely supposed to be lighter uh, and in more entertainment uh, and then I I was like, you know, I'm finding all these great pieces of information that I don't think a lot of people know and I think they would really enjoy. So I try to keep on one-upping myself and that makes it (laughs) interesting for me. You know, it just makes it kind of fun to go back. So I could do a Last Waltz episode and it would be, you know, 40 minutes long, but I want to dive into every piece. Um, I also want to really deconstruct certain narratives. Mm. Uh, The band is, and it's not just a band, I guess you could say it about a lot of artists actually, but there's lots of narratives, good and bad, that surround the band and people just take them at face value. Why would they not? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's easy. It's like, you know, this is the course of events. This happened, this happened, and this happened, or this is how we remember this. Like we take a look at Woodstock and it was all, you know sunflowers and rainbows and all that, but it was actually a mess. But you know how that prevailing narrative is and in the bands the same way, like they, they, there's, there's stuff underneath the surface. So the last waltz in particular, I think there's some interesting things that people don't really think about, especially with the, like the defining document of the band. Like everybody thinks the last waltz. So it's going to be like four parts now, but yeah, there's lots of writing. I've thought about condensing it and putting it into a book of some sort. Um, There is some ideas being thrown out there right now about doing and using kind of some of the success of the podcast as a platform to launch a book of essays, a collection of essays that uh, isn't a new idea, Um, other People have done it for other artists. A great one came out about Dylan not that long ago uh, in exploring new ideas in relation to the band in essay form and get a a bunch of great writers together and doing that. So that's something that we're definitely thinking about. Um, But there's always new ways you can explore the band, whether it's on film, if it's in podcast form, if it's Mm. in written form taking the show on the road, that's something we've explored as well. So there's definitely a lot of cool ideas, um, but uh, there's tons of writing. Uh, My patrons, they get the transcripts. Um, I will say um, the transcripts are fairly close to the final product, but I do change. Just because in the edit, sometimes you're like, yeah, I don't need that line, or Mm -hmm. that's slightly awkward, or sometimes I'll mash two lines together. I'm not perfect in that regard. And even the final product, sometimes I go back and I listen, I'm like, why did I do that? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, that's awesome. I would
0: change, change gears a little bit here. Uh, we only release the audio. We don't release any video. Uh, we have some video right now. And I'm, I'm noticed, I noticed right away your hat, you have a hat on that says leave on helm studios uh, in Woodstock. Um, and, and I have a couple questions about that. Number one, sure. uh, uh during his his later career uh levon helm did his midnight rambling uh sessions at at his at his uh his barn Mm -hmm. uh, and the song that's on your podcast that one of your friends wrote talks about that and in levon's barn uh we're a little younger so i i assume you didn't get a chance to go down um but have you i assume you visited though since you have the hat uh, anything about those pieces
2: no yeah yeah I'm wearing my uh Levon Helm Studio hat. I've got a Levon 80th and uh 80th birthday celebration t-shirt on. <laughs> awesome. I've got a lot of band merch. Um <laughs> Cool. You know, yes, unfortunately I'm I'm 26, so Oh okay. Uh I I could have definitely listened to the band and listened to Levon when when he was alive, but I didn't. So that was, you know, regrettable for myself. I've been to Woodstock. I've been um I've been to all of the great locations and like all the history that surrounds it. I, I've been to all those places and, and things of that nature. That's great. That's cool. Um, you can you can buy a lot of the merch online. I'd love to support the Levon Helm Studios and the Midnight Rambles. It still continues. They bring in great musical um, artists awesome. and guests. It's a very cool experience. Uh, and the Levon Helm. Studio definitely deserves all the support, especially if you know the history of it and the barn burning down so many times and all the different bankruptcies <laughs> and things like that. So it's definitely something that's uh, any way I can help. But um, yeah, no, Woodstock's a magical place, similar to Disney or you know, setting foot in the sands of Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. It's like <laughs> you go to Woodstock and there's something in the air. You know yeah. the history that's made in that area, the, the amount of really talented individuals that walk those same streets um some of the people walking those streets still look like they're from that era as well um <laughs> so it's yeah. it's a very cool place i'd recommend it um beautiful area in the catskill mountains awesome ben maybe maybe we'll have to go down and do a do something down there together yeah, yeah. no that, that'd be cool we you know we're going to turn up 40 never done next a meet year, up.
1: so maybe we need to like plan a, a road trip of uh, things yeah. like that. We could do like Cooperstown uh, in New York as well and, and hit up some other... I'm sure there's good breweries and other, oh, yeah. other interests Big of time. ours around the area too. Big time.
0: It would be great, Tyrell, to have you back another time and maybe do a full something um this i guess the as much as i'd love to do a full thing right now i guess the intention is just to do a bit of an intro to this previous review um i i guess a, a question about the the brown album uh is there a moment it's i don't want to say do you have a favorite song because i don't think that's fair um <laughs> but is there a moment or something about the brown album that that jumps out to you when you think about it or when you listen to it
2: yeah i think you know the brown album is is a pretty perfect album if you ask me i am a little bit biased but you know (laughs) uh, i do enjoy thoroughly enjoy other bands and other artists and there are other perfect albums that i enjoy a lot too Abbey road being one of them or like baggers banquet by the stones but across the across the great divide that opens the album i think is a beautiful wonderful song um and later on, I think the second side that doesn't get as much love, um, because the, the first side, you know, it has some legendary moments. It's got Rag Mama yep. Ray. It's got The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Uh, it's got Up on Cripple Creek. The second side features a song that I think is incredibly underrated, and that is Jawbone. Oh, uh, so good. Yeah, time it's, signature. It's, that, that, yeah, that the time signature. <laughs> written, written by Robbie and Richard. You know, Richard loved, as Levon said, to, you know, really kind of throw people for a loop with the time signature piece, <laughs> and we get like three, four different time signatures in there. The vocals yep. really strong, the lyric is super fun. I think it kind of displays the band's full talent uh, mm-hmm. pool and the range that everybody had. But you know, it's it's really it's an era defining album. It's an album that the big artists of the day all really took notice of Mm. along with music from Big Pink. And it changed the trajectory of a lot of artists. Eric Clapton, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. It's all noted in, in writing how this album affected them. And that's special because these were trendsetters and are people that you think of as the, you know, defining artists of their era, but the band is kind of at the crux and, you know, the reason why a lot of that happened along with Bob Dylan, they're the musician's band. You know, every musician you talk to knows the band. They listen to the band. They respect them. And that, uh, I think that is the most important thing. Uh, Even more than commercial sale or cultural relevance, being respected by your fellow musicians and influencing them enough to change sound and go back to basics and kind of leave the 60s psychedelia behind which is great but you know like all things good things must end yeah uh, and really go back to basics and really kind of you know change careers the stones went into their peak album period during that back to basics time um mm-hmm. while the beatles kind of ended they their last few albums are incredibly strong and leading into their solo career especially George um Eric Clapton deciding to leap cream and kind of really focus on a couple different projects you know these are just some of the examples that are um you know out there so yeah I think the Brown album is a a defining album of that era really caps it off in a beautiful way and that's I think the music is timeless. You can go back and listen to it today and it's got that timeless quality to it.
1: We, we are fortunate to be able to tackle this album and music from big pink. Um, We could talk about the weird phenomenon of this 2020 list, dropping music from big pink from previously being ahead of the Brown album to now being way past it down at number 100. Um, But I'm curious. um, And this is said as somewhat of a, a still learning fan of the band, but what is your guess as to why they were never quite able to to capture fire in a bottle in the same way that they did with these first two um, hmm. masterpieces? Hmm. Um, yeah, is it yeah. just that the personalities never quite clicked again? Was there too much fame from this album that that uh, that meant that they were a little too soft to really ever recapture that again? Or, or do you have a, a theory?
2: Yeah, I think I think there's a couple things that you can take a look at first of all the rapid succession of their first three albums that a lot of people think are you know the big three albums music from big pink the self-titled and stage Fright happened in three years (laughs) okay Uh, it's 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 similar people don't think about it like the beatles only really putting out you know being a band longer but like putting out albums in like an eight-year period basically like that's insane yep a lot of these artists were doing that and nowadays, you get an album every like three, four years from some of these artists. So I think there was a lot of creativity tapped. I think there was a skyrocketing of fame. Like, you know, while they don't have the commercial success of the Beatles or the Stones, they were selling at Wembley. And they were huge for a pretty short period of time. And Mm -hmm. that kind of rapid succession, I think, does a lot. Um, There was pretty bad alcoholism and drug use by the entirety of the band and when you mix those things together it doesn't work after a while yeah. mm-hmm. i i think that also these guys were in a group for nearly a decade before they recorded their first album so you know you get tired of each other <laughs> after yeah. a little bit yeah. you start having separate lives you're not teenagers anymore you know you have your own families you have your own uh, personal problems that you but that you're dealing with i also think uh power dynamics shifted in the band early on it was definitely levon's group uh it it quickly shifted to to robbie's group in terms of a leadership component mm-hmm. uh and well productive at first i don't think that productivity really was inspired under robbie much further and i think richard manuel was the secret sauce he was the important component really to make it go on if you look at the first album music from big pink the songwriting credits are very even across the board robbie for richard for rick denko one bob dylan two um brown album still richard in there but a little bit more robbie by the third album less Richard, less everybody else. And Robbie's a great songwriter, but like I don't think he had enough in it to sustain it. You know, That's not to say that they didn't do good things. It just became a little bit more inconsistent. Northern Light, Southern Cross, um, team their comeback album, is a remarkable album. I really employ people to go out and listen to it. Um, when the band got back together in the 80s and made albums in the 90s, Jericho from 93 is an exceptional album. Mm-hmm. Definitely go listen to it. I think, though, you kind of fall under the pressure of your own perfection. You know, who yeah. if people are telling you that music from Big Pink and the Brown album are these defining albums, like I was just saying, and literally other artists are changing the course of their life, I think that mentally screws you up a little bit, even yeah. if you don't want to admit it. Like how you're mm-hmm. like, oh, God, I got to make a perfect album again.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep.
2: You know? Yep um i like you know you can you can see it in, in everything it's like how do you deal with pressure if you're watching sports if you're watching the basketball game if you're michael jordan you're going to the finals every year i got to keep on topping that i got to keep yeah. on getting to that level again Yep. so mm-hmm. it's really hard to sustain and not everybody can do it so i think that's you know a couple of the things without going you know on this huge tangent but i think it was a mixture of fame personality who is really taking charge you know inner band dynamics it's really hard when you have a group of guys together trying to do something. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, it's all of those
1: things. I've got this piece in my head that I've never really been able to articulate terribly sure. well, but I always find it odd that we hold up this Canadian, primarily Canadian group as creating an uh, iconic Americana album. I always find sure. that really weird. And I, I don't know that we need to re- like talk through that here on the podcast recording, but I find it really fascinating. And maybe it is just this... One good old boy bringing it all up yeah. with him from the deep south. I can south, give you, but.
2: I can give you an answer that I, I, I'll try to be very concise about it because I, <laughs> it's a question that a lot of people have tried to tackle. A lot of people have given some good answers. It is a question that you know, how are you know, four Canadians, one American, able to create the defining genre of Americana music? Mm-hmm. I think it does have to do with Levon Helm's deep Southern heritage. Uh, That is an important, crucial thing. While his name might be not listed next to the songwriting credits because of technicalities, Levon Helm was definitely an influence on a lot of the writing. Like you don't have The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down without Levon Helm. You don't have Reg Mama Ray, You don't have Strawberry Wine. You don't have Upon Cripple Creek. You don't have those things. It's very simple. You just don't have them. I think the band spent an exceptionally long amount of time in the South, touring with ronnie hawkins Mm -hmm. similar to you know the beatles going over to germany and just pounding the rock for ten thousand hours the band did that in the states they saw a lot of the working class impoverished people and i think it's that outsider perspective and you guys you know can probably see this too when you're in everything when you're in your own stuff it's really hard to see it from another perspective but when you take a step back you can start to see things yeah so you have four america or you have four canadians coming to america they're going to see things in a little bit of a different light than your everyday american will yeah. and i think yeah. that commentary helped you know that fresh perspective got american critics and american fans really thinking about a lot of yeah. a lot of things in a, in a, in a different way So if you look at things and defining things about a culture or about a thing, you'll often see a lot of times the person that is most able to put it into words or have an opinion about it, a lot of times is an outsider. Mm -hmm. So I think some of those things led to them kind of stumbling into this.
1: That's a good answer. I mean, I guess we get that (laughs) a little bit with Neil Young too, right? And he he sings quite frequently about the South and needing to clean up their act and uh, you need yes. almost an outsider perspective to, to sort of get that perspective sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. This has been absolutely delightful. Um, and
0: uh, yeah, I, I mean, as you said, I could ask a thousand more questions, but I'm not <laughs> going to now. Um, we'll have to arrange something else, but well, of course we want to thank you, Tyrell, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your thoughts, your inspiration, about your project uh, the band a history podcast uh, your passion for the band your passion for the brown album of course that's what we're talking about and and thank you again for for just taking a little time out of your day to join us this has been fantastic
2: no thank you guys for having me on um i can't skip an opportunity to talk about the band uh, but also <laughs> i you guys are doing a very cool thing i think it's really interesting I like the variety of it. Sometimes I wish I had a little bit more variety. Uh, the ability to really tap into all these different albums, these, you know, defining historical pieces of artwork. Um, and, you know, thank you for letting me come on and rant and rave a little bit. Um I sure had a lot of fun. So thanks, guys. You're welcome.
1: Well, we only have like, uh, I don't know, 440 more to go. So if there's something that catches <laughs> your eye and you uh, you really want to ramble on with uh, two guys with no credentials, we'd love to have you. Um, and if you haven't subscribed already, please go do that. You can find uh, the Band of History just about anywhere you get podcasts. Um, click subscribe. Um, become a Patreon, too. Support this uh, this history preserving project here that Tyrell has undertaken. It's really powerful and really incredible.
0: Appreciate it guys. Thank you. Absolutely. So we hope you'll uh, stick around uh, just in a minute for our previous review of the Brown album. And of course we hope you'll join us next time when we tackle another album.
1: Yeah. At number 58, we've got uh, another self-titled album. This is uh, Led Zeppelin's, uh, I guess, Four or IV or no al- uh, no title at all if you uh, want to be very literal, um, but uh, that iconic album comes in at number fifty eight. So we'll be discussing that next time.
0: Our previous review of the band's Brown album coming up right after this.
1: We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new twenty twenty Rolling Stone list.